Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Jeff. Yeah, he's tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done great things. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What is going on? Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. Raja Bell. Raja uh, later this morning, Raja had some crop up with his boys school today. So, uh, if you've got kids, you know what we're dealing with right now when it's all these, uh, scheduled meetings come about. So Raja, I'll be back tomorrow. Be a little bit off kilter this week for the listeners out there because I'll be traveling some. I'm going to be out of town. Not sure if I'm going to be on all five days or not. Raja will be back tomorrow though, for sure. And, uh, next week, I think we have big news to announce, but we're not allowed to announce it quite just yet. So, uh, pay attention for that. We're going to get to some preseason football. We're going to get uh, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen made their debuts, and they were pretty impressive, no doubt about it. We're going to get to that. There were also some fights uh, during preseason uh, training camp, which always happens. We're going to dive into that some. But the weekend belonged to Tiger Woods, which, which was fantastic. It was absolutely um, as it has been. It was the same, same feel as the British Open when you start sensing something special could be happening, and it felt that way again uh, at Belle Reve in St. Louis when Tiger Woods is up on the leaderboard. He's chasing. He's getting closer and closer to the guys on top. And even though he couldn't pull it off again, this has to be considered a huge success for Tiger Woods. It was so close. He looked the part. He felt comfortable. But the biggest question now when he's facing some of these young guns is can he knock them from their perch? Because this isn't the days of going against Colin Montgomery and a fat Phil Mickelson. This is going against some of the best athletes in the world now, which don't laugh. Golfers now are true athletes. You have to consider them athletes, the way they keep themselves in shape. Uh, you know, you got these guys with five, six percent body fat. Brooks Kepka's out there bombing at 340 yards. Like it's not even a big deal and not phased at all by some of the pressure. Um, so it's not going to be as easy, but there is no question that Tiger Woods is going to win another major. And if you would have asked me that question a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, any time in this last setback for Tiger Woods, I probably would have said no. That was my official take on Tiger Woods was he might win another regular tour event, but there's no way he's going to win another major. And I have completely shifted on that one because we see a healthy Tiger Woods. I think that's the thing that people don't understand is Tiger has been just mired with injury after injury after injury uh, whether it was his knee whether it was his neck whether it was any other ailment his uh his achilles like he's had major injuries that he's had to deal with and that has had just as big an impact on him as his mental state of mind i mean he's been dealing with addiction this is one of the greatest comeback stories that we've seen in the last 20 years and it's not even close when you consider how great he was when he was hands down the best golfer in the world and run, winning tournaments at a rate of, you know, winning every third time he teed it up, he would win the tournament to the, the depths of the dark, you know, the deepest you could go when he's in Jupiter, he's struggling to come back and he gets arrested on the side of the road and he's in Jupiter and he thinks he does in LA. Like that's how far down he was where he was dealing with addiction, dealing with health issues and his career looked like I don't know if he's ever going to play again, let, let alone win another event. And here he is contending with a second-place finish in a major on the PGA Tour. It is phenomenal to watch it run. And I think 
I think people love comeback stories in our country. Like, because Tiger Woods, after he had his indiscretions and those became public, he was one of the most hated people out there. Like, and, and deservedly so, because he had his image that was crafted that looked very perfect. And all of a sudden he went to this, oh, this is really what was going on behind the scenes. And people don't like that. If you're a liar or a phony, people will crush you and they should. But for him to be back now where he's showed his contrition, he's been at these depths we were just talking about to get back to here to contending. It's one of the best sports stories we've seen. And it's the reason why I and everybody else was rooting for him, including the crowds in St. Louis, which were off the charts. It was insane where you heard the tiger roars from all over the course when he's dropping putt after putt. Uh, let's have a listen to Tiger talking about his memorable run after the round. I didn't drive good all day. You know, I was struggling with my golf swing. I had, I was warmed up hitting it left. I was hitting it right with every single club. Even my, my sandwich, I wasn't, wasn't doing very good. And so I knew this was going to be a, a struggle to try and piece together a round. And I did. At the beginning of the year, uh, if you just said, yeah, I, I would have a chance, legit chance to win the last two major championships, I, with what swing? Uh, I didn't have a swing at the time. You know, I had no speed. Um, I didn't have a golf swing. I didn't have, uh, you know, my short game wasn't, wasn't quite there yet. You know, my putting was okay, but, you know, God, I hadn't played in two years. And so um, it's been a hell of a process this year. I didn't drive. It is so much fun and so inspiring to me to hear Tiger talk so openly. And as great as his comeback has been on the golf course, I think his comeback as a person is even more impressive. It's better. It's more likable. And it's why so many people are attracted to Tiger. This is a different Tiger Woods. Not only what he's talking about from a golf perspective, from, you know, dealing with a new swing, you know, he's driving it all over the place, but from a personal perspective, how many times that you never would have seen Tiger in his heyday acknowledging the crowd. Uh, you know, you know, smiling at the crowd, interacting with kids in between holes. You never would have seen Tiger after a second place finish talk so refreshingly and candidly after a round and still with a smile on his face. Like he feels good. He felt like he accomplished something even though he didn't win. And 15 years ago, you would have seen Tiger storm off the course, ticked off because he didn't win the major. He had the opportunity. But I think this is a Tiger that is more likable, that is more relatable. And that's why so many people are cheering for him. Um, and now the question is, can he, can he get over that hump and get there? And I think even he doesn't know that. And that is my question too. Can this tiger, not the cutthroat, go for the jugular tiger that he was before? Can this friendlier tiger win a major? I think the answer is yes. I think the bigger question is, can he win four and catch Jack Nicholas? So he's got, he's 42 years old. So that puts him at four majors a year. Let's give him five years in his prime. Cause it's, and look, it's past his prime, but five good years where age wise, you can picture Tiger competing. He'd have 20 majors. He's definitely going to win one of those, especially when you consider this year alone. He had in the majors, he finished sixth, the masters, the U.S. Open, he was cut at Chinnacock. That was an ugly one, but then the British, he was tied for sixth and then now a second place finish. If he keeps putting himself in the position, sooner or later he's going to win. So in 20 major attempts in the next five years, he's going to win one just by default. If he keeps positioning himself where he needs to, I don't think he catches Jack and gets to that 18, that elusive number that he's been chasing ever since he was a toddler and put the picture up in his room. But he will get that one. And I think what is going to you know, just totally captivate the golf fans and casual fans 
is whether he gets to that 18 number. And I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Some of the numbers over the weekend for him were insane. He shot a 6-under 64 on Sunday. It was the lowest Sunday score ever for uh Tiger at a major. His Friday through Sunday score, 66, 66, 64, that was the lowest 54 total at a major in his career by four shots. So the golf is there. It's just a matter of, can he put it all together for four rounds, and can he stave off some of the toughest competition he's ever faced? I think the answer is yes. The guy that he beat is the most unknown, underrated superstar in the sport, Brooks Kepka. I might be slightly biased because he's a Florida State grad, and all he does is go out and win majors. He hasn't even won a PGA Tour event, but, man, is he clutch when it matters. And I was trying to figure out, like, why – why isn't he there yet? Why isn't he considered with the likes of Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler, who are, you know, marketed? When you're watching yesterday, you saw commercials, and they're great. Like, I love them. Justin Thomas and his dad, Ricky Fowler being funny on the golf course. Those are fantastic. But Brooks Kepka has largely, in most part, flown under the radar as far as the superstardom in that sport. And I think he's about to explode uh internationally, because golf is an international sport, because people are going to have to start recognizing the pace at which he's winning, the talent that he has out in the course, uh, and some of the accomplishments that he's had at this, you know, stage in his career. So there was a stat that came out yesterday. Only five players have won the U.S. Open and PGA Championship in the same season. Brooks Kepka just became in the fourth, uh, fifth. Tiger Woods was the last one to do it in 2000. Jack Nicklaus did it in 1980. Ben Hogan did it in 1948. And Gene Sarazen in 1922. These are the best players the sport has ever seen. And now Brooks Kepka's in that company, and it's he's going to continue to play this well because his game fits. He's in fit. He's in great shape. I find his story fascinating because the guy didn't even like golf. When he was younger, he wanted to be a baseball player or a football player. He wanted to quit golf because he didn't think it was fun. Like He was like, ah, this sport's boring, which is exactly how I felt about it as growing up. And I wish somebody would have pushed me to keep playing, but he's phenomenally talented. And it's just a matter of time before the world starts to take notice. And I think this week could be the breakout week for him. And I think it's going to be, he might, Brooks Kepka might be one of the challengers that you're going to see repeatedly holding off Tiger Woods in this new one. It's going to be Justin Thomas, Dust, uh, Justin, uh, Dustin Johnson, and you know, the rest of the best players in the world. But that's going to be one of the major obstacles that Tiger Woods has to overcome. All right. Let's get through, uh, let's move on to read and react because there were some pretty good sports stories that came out over the weekend. How about Willie Mays, San Francisco Giants legend? They were having a retirement ceremony for Barry Bonds uh, jersey out in San Francisco. And Willie Mays came out with a scorcher. But I don't think it's actually that scorching a, of, a, of a hot take because I think it makes sense. So he said, on behalf of all the people in San Francisco and the country, vote this guy in. Pleading with the Hall of Fame voters. Give somebody honor that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. When you get there, you'll say, man, how did I get here? And I want him to have that honor on behalf of all the people in San Francisco. Vote this guy in. He's getting closer but I think Willie Mays is right. I have no problem putting Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best, one of the best that the sport has ever seen. Yes, he was juiced up, but put an asterisk next to his name. Put an asterisk next to his name and everybody else that played in this era because it was so prevalent. There were so many guys that were using PEDs that were taking enhancers. So just have a wing that does this, that includes everyone in this era. Roger Clemens. Um, anybody else that you want, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, all the guys that were in this era, put him in a wing of the hall and make it 
yeah, they're not going to call it this because it's not really good PR, but make it the steroid wing and have them all out there in the same spot because there are a lot of guys that are in the Hall of Fame that have used enhancing drugs, performance enhancer, whether it was steroids, HGH. Back in the other old days, it was amphetamines. It was greenies. It was something. A lot of guys have done it. There's nobody without blemish. So put him in. I'm with Willie Mays on this one. Uh, it'll be interesting because he's been getting closer, getting to that 75% that he needs over the last few years of voting. And you've seen an increase, 44% three years ago, 53% to 56% this last uh, year that the voting was held. So he's getting closer, still a long way to go, but I say put him in. All right, how about some football? Dolphins coach Adam Gase on QB Ryan Tannehill kicking a rookie quarterback out of practice uh, for missing a block. Gase loved it. He said he was in the right, kind of making an example there. When he does things like that for our offense, it's a good thing. He cooked, uh, so rookie, uh, Kalen Balaj, the fourth round pick comes in, and this is so typical for a rookie not to know what to do. Like, they're swimming, they're over their head, they're still scrambling for the playbook, they're like, oh, that's my first guy, and they have no clue what to do if there's an adjustment on defense or they throw a different look at you. And I'm sure that's what happened. So Ryan Tannehill said, get out of here. Feels a little staged to me. To try to, you know, to try to give Ryan Tannehill some pub as a leader and to let him kind of take ownership over this Dolphins team, which has zero identity. They don't have a name on there besides Ryan Tannehill that anybody in the country knows who they are. They might be the most nondescript team in the NFL and they're dying for somebody to take over. And Adam Gase is saying, Hey, we need Tannehill to do it and we'll take it one step at a time. This is a baby step for him to toss out a rookie that really has no clout on the team out of, out of a drill. But it's a step in the right direction. We'll see if they uh, if they keep making waves in that way. How about the Cleveland Browns? They're in a quarterback competition right now trying to figure out Tyrod Taylor. Is he the guy or is it Baker Mayfield? Who was really impressive in his debut, but so was Tyrod Taylor. But their quarterback coach, Ken Zampezi, he says, you know what? Why are we even messing around with a quarterback competition? He said, let's go on with Tyrod as our starter. He's our guy. I think he's right. I think Tyrod Taylor is the right guy to hold down this offense. But if you look at their schedule, if you look at the Cleveland Browns schedule, I could see something playing out. And I think this is probably what's going to happen. And it's not super fair to Tyrod Taylor. But they open up with the Steelers at home. They're going to lose that game. Then they go to New Orleans. They play the Saints. They're going to lose that game. They're going to start 0-2. Tyrod Taylor starting. And then they're going to play Baker Mayfield at home versus the Jets. Because it makes sense. It really does. And a lot of times it's politically motivated. There are reasons why you wouldn't start Baker Mayfield. Because if you start Baker Mayfield versus these two teams, he's going to look bad. It's just going to happen. So why put him out there when you've got an experienced quarterback who's had, you know, took the Bills to the playoff last year? Put him in there. Let him start. And see how it goes. Yeah, by the way, if I'm wrong and they don't start 0-2, then Tyrod Taylor keeps his job and you are in an outstanding position at 2-0. and And then you ride with it. You go ride or die. Say, hey, Tyrod's our guy. If we make the playoffs, we'll go. But if not, start 0-2. Baker's going to start that, that third week of the season because there are too many jobs at stake, one being Hugh Jackson, most importantly, who, you know, they need an excuse. If they, they can't have another, you know, 0-for-8 start or he's going to be fired before they even get there. So 0-for-2, then Baker Mayfield's plugged in for week three. Speaking of Hugh Jackson, he had an interesting revelation about Antonio Callaway because we were all watching him. He had made some circus catches in that opening game, played fantastic, but played every single snap for the offense, which is something you don't see out of anybody. I don't care who you are. If you're a rookie, if you're a vet, you don't play that much in the preseason. And everybody was asking Hugh Jackson why, and he said that was part of the consequence of what he has been through, and he knows it. That is what it was. Either you sit him or you make him play. Or you make him play. 
So he said that's his punishment, making him play a whole preseason game. It's kind of corny. It's kind of stupid because, you know, guys are like, hey, what? why would you play somebody to punish them? But guys hate playing in the preseason. Every guy out there wants to get in their reps and get to the sideline, get your pads off, and start checking out the stands for girls. That's what guys do in the preseason. They just don't want to get hurt, get to the sidelines as soon as fast. So I'm sure Antonio Callaway was out there like, man, I got to go out here and play 60 minutes. Probably wasn't having it. But you know what? Don't get cited for marijuana possession again, and you won't have to play a whole preseason again. Our boy Johnny Manziel was in action north of the border again. And after his atrocious first start, where he threw four picks in the first half, and it prompted a Canel apology on Twitter, because I did take a lame, cheap swipe at him uh, on Twitter, uh, he actually played a little bit better, which I thought was what you would expect. His first game was atrocious. It could not have gone worse. He even said it. His quote after the game, I mean, we didn't turn the ball over. We didn't throw four picks in the first half. Anything is better than last week. And he's spot on. He's right. He did play better. You know why? Because he's actually been able to play. And he's actually been able to absorb the playbook and know what is going on out there. And as good as you are at improvising, as good as are as you making plays, when you're playing a professional level, whether it's the NFL or the CFL, you've got to know where to go with the football. And it was very clear in week one, he didn't. And in week two, he had a plan. And it showed. 16 to 20, 168 yards. It'll continue to get better for Manziel. And just to be sure... I am on board with Johnny Manziel's comeback. I hope he tears it up in the uh, CFL and continues his comeback in the right direction. Maybe we'll be talking about him the same way we are about Tiger Woods. We'll have to see. All right, got to take a break. Coming up, Sam Darnold. I teased it. He looked outstanding in week one. Should he start? I'm going to give you the answer. Coming up next on Off the Bench. Did I was pooping. Yeah, I guess messing up. Cleveland was a shithole. <laughs> That's our boy Isaiah Thomas coming out against the land. Then he did apologize. He said, I apologize for my choice of words about Cleveland. I was on my, on my live playing around. Uh, they don't know. They don't show you everything for a reason, SMH. Right after that, I clarified what he said. All love to everybody who had love for me in Cleveland. I got a quick question for you. Is he wrong? Cleveland, you can even chime in. Is he wrong? Is it a place that's fantastic? Is it beautiful? Is it clean? Is it all those things? Is it the best place to live? Is it one of America's best cities? Cleveland, you tell me the answer. I don't have to ask anybody else. It's always the crappy cities that are so defensive about when you call their city crappy. Like, I don't, why, why is that? Like, just admit it. Everybody knows it. It's okay. You can still have some good aspects of your, of your city. That's fine. Sorry, Cleveland. I apologize just like I teed it. All right, how about you have to see it? This might be the most hitting you're going to see in the NFL this season with the new NFL rules. How about the Jets Redskins at practice? <clears throat> Going all in. This was a melee. This is pretty vicious. You see players, uh, photographers getting run over. It's a bunch of just yelling and shoving and pushing. I don't think there was any punches landed. But seriously, this might be the most hitting you're going to see in the NFL. These new rules are scaring me. How many penalties you're getting called helmet to helmet? If you want to see contact, go watch practice because that's what's going to be. So I started watching the NFL preseason Thursday night, and I was very frustrated because I couldn't see any games. So I was like, I got to figure out how to watch all the games. So I signed up for NFL Game Pass. It is awesome. I'm, this is like true story. I'm not just saying this because I have to. I actually signed up for it. So only with NFL Game Pass do you get every out-of-market preseason game live. Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum battling out week one. The Super Bowl rematch between the Eagles and Patriots in week two. Darnold versus Barkley in week three. It all happens in the preseason live with NFL Game Pass. 
I'm most excited to watch the Eagles Pats this preseason. It's a rematch of the Super Bowl. Uh, you want to see if, you know, if the Patriots even care. Are they going to play guys? Are they going to play their starters? The Eagles, do they have any hangover? But with NFL Game Pass, I can actually watch it live if I'm out of market. If I miss the game, I can replay it after it's aired. Whatever game you want to watch this preseason, you'll need NFL Game Pass to do so if you're out of market. Gruden's return to Oakland in week one. Allen versus Mayfield week two. Patrick Mahomes takes on Mitchell Trubisky in week three. Make sure to watch all the action this preseason with NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2018 season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Sign up now at NFL.com backslash off the bench. Game on. All right, I actually used my NFL Game Pass to watch Sam Darnold. Condensed version because I don't like watching commercials and the broadcasters, even though I probably shouldn't say that since I am one. Uh, but I watched Donald's game. Uh, the Jets were out there in full, uh, you know, preseason mode, getting their rookie quarterback, who they're saying is competing for a starting job versus Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater. He looked good. He looked really good. 13 to 18, 96 yards, a touchdown, looked comfortable in the pocket. It was very similar to Baker Mayfield. Like both of these rookies looked like they should. That's my take. You should look good in the preseason week one. Your first game as an NFL player, you should be dialed in. You should know every single play that you're going to run that night. You know what else? You probably should know every defense that you're going to see on the field. It is the most simplified, basic game plan you will see in your entire career is your first start as a rookie. And both these guys did it. So to the question, should Darnold start for week one, which I'm hearing from a lot of hot take artists that are out there, I don't know yet. This is not really a popular take, and it's not really taking a stand. I need to see Sam Darnold in week two and week three. More more importantly, week three of the preseason is when you need to shine because that's when you start actually implementing a game plan. You'll tweak the offensive plays. You'll tweak the formations. The defense is tweaking what they're doing. They're starting to throw a few blitzes in at you. They've watched you play, so they're going to start doing a little bit more. But I need to see at least three games of preseason action before I see any of these rookie quarterbacks and say, all right, that guy should start. Because there's always the advantage of experience. And that's what the veterans on these teams have. Josh McCown is 39 years old. He's seen a lot more football than Sam Donald has. Even Teddy Bridgewater, his biggest question is how healthy is he? Can he withstand the beating that he's going to have to take as a starter? And can he take some pounding in the preseason? How mobile is he? But if Sam Donald continues to progress, if he plays like he did in week one, then I say, why not? Why not go ahead and play them? We were talking earlier about the schedule that the Browns face. The Jets' schedule is cake because they're one of the worst teams. It sets up pretty nicely because they play in the one of the worst divisions in all of football outside the Patriots. Why not get his feet wet? You know he's the future. You know he's the guy you're going to build the franchise around. Why not go out there and play him? And it's not like you have a great option beside him. It's not like you have... Um, a Tyrod Taylor, that the guy who just took a, you know, a team to the playoffs last year. It's not like you have even a Sam Bradford, which Josh Rosen is competing with. Bradford's a former number one overall pick who still has some years left if he stays healthy. You're on an awful team. Get him out there. Let him play. But as of now, I think you haven't seen enough to go out there and make that bold of a prediction on Sam Darnold. So I, I need to see some more action on him. But if the trend continues, and he's, he's a special quarterback. He has all the physical tools that you want to. He can improvise. He can scramble around. And apparently, from what everybody is saying, he's absorbing the playbook like you would expect from a guy who was taken as high as he was. And he's a very smart, cerebral quarterback with a high IQ. I think even the coaches were amazed at how fast he's been able to absorb a playbook. But it, remember, just remember, 
what he's had to absorb so far is very simple and very basic. So we're going to have to see how he progresses, along with all the other quarterbacks. My hunch is that you won't see one rookie quarterback starting week one. Maybe week two, week three. We talked about some of the options when you could plug those guys in. But my hunch is that every single team will go with a veteran over a rookie because they're worried about possibly harming a guy mentally, you know, getting him beat up. What do you do to his development if he goes out there and he plays awful? My hunch is the teams will take the safe play and go with some of the veteran options. Uh, we saw the earlier fight from the Jets camp with them fighting with the Reds camp, uh, Redskins camp. It was also a, a little bit of a brawl at the Jags practice when you saw this one's unique because it's not another team. It's actually fighting among teammates as Dante Fowler was going at it with some, uh, Ngakwe, one of his defensive linemen. This is typical stuff that goes on at NFL camps all the time. It, the preseason is so frustrating. It's so monotonous. It's so tedious. Guys are going, some guys go half speed in drills. Other guys go full speed. You make each other look bad. And all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I'm going to get cut. If you don't let me get a piece, you know, let me just slow down, take it easy on me. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're fighting out there. So Jalen Ramsey comes to his defense and says, Hey, why are you guys videoing this? Goes after the media, the local media. And so now the Jaguars have announced they've suspended Fowler and Ramsey for a week of practice, uh, for the Jaguars. And they don't like it. They've said, you know what? I'm, I'm defending my guys. I'm, I'm trying to defend my teammates. I don't want them to go out there. Hashtag lame ass reporters, which is kind of funny because that is how every player views reporters. Every one of them can't stand the media. But Jalen Ramsey says, I've always gone, I'm always going to take up for my teammates because I know what type of men and players they are for real. Love my dogs. If you don't like it, oh well. God bless, uh, God bless. Jalen Ramsey's sticking to his gun. Our own Pete Pesco, we saw the tweet earlier, said if Ramsey gets suspended for a week, uh, for what he did to reporters, then when I covered him, the team guys would have been gone for a month and maybe two for what some of them did. I do think it's a little peculiar. Um, I thought it was an overreaction on the Jags' behalf. You know, they're, they're fighting a camp and they're going after the reporters. This is stuff that does happen in every single camp all the time. Was it a little bit aggressive? Yes. You probably could have handled it a lot easier and not making a big deal out of it by calling the guys aside, maybe making them run after practice, having them sit out one practice a week seems a little bit steep for me. And it's just going to bring more attention to a situation where Dante Fowler suspended one game already after being activated from the pup list. Uh, you know, it's just, it's his third fight in camp. It's the second one where he's been kicked out. You're just going to bring more attention to a bad situation where it was probably could have been just quieted down if you would have taken it aside, but they feel otherwise. Um, the Minnesota Vikings, I have been high on this season. I love Kirk Cousins. I think it was one of the best offseason signings. You can argue about the $92 million guaranteed if you want for three years. I think he's going to elevate this team to the next level, which is crazy because they were 13-3 and three and they were a play away from getting an NFC Championship game. But I think he's going to make that much of a difference to this team. Kirk Cousins, top 10 quarterback. Don't argue with me. Go look at the stats. Every meaningful quarterback for three seasons, not one, for three seasons – He's been at the top, passing yards, completion percentage, touchdown-interception ratio. Any meaningful quarterback stat, he's been in the top 10. So don't argue with me. So they're getting a top 10 quarterback. He's getting Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, and most importantly, I think this is one of the most undercovered stories in the NFL this season, is Dalvin Cook healthy is going to be a monster. If you're a fantasy guy, pick him up because he's going to go off. He looks healthy after coming off the ACL. We saw a tiny glimpse of it when he played just uh, four games before he got hurt. And he is going to open up things that the Vikings didn't have last year. You know, because they, they had a decent running game. They had Case Keenan playing there. He was a game manager. Now you're going to be able to have the defenses are going to have to respect 
Dalvin Cook's big playability. They're going to have to get safeties down involved in the pass game, in the run run support, which is going to open up huge lanes in the pass game for Kirk Cousins. I know there'll be a transition. I know it'll be a little bit different. They have a new offensive coordinator. But the Vikings will be the best team in the NFC this year. Sorry, Debo. Eagles, you're going to see a regression from them. So watch out for the Vikings. Best record in the NFL. That's what you get here on Off the Bench. Uh, you know what else you get? What I did now that like pissed people off. Because I did a couple things that trolled some people. Might have made them mad. But I also did some things that I think were pretty smart. So you want to hear those. Coming up next on Off the Bench. All right, Danny, I'm taking over. It's time for a new segment. We're doing this one every Monday. It's called What Did Danny Do Now? I love the name of this segment. So, Danny, we're going to run through some of the tweets that you had from over the weekend. You can defend yourself a little bit. Are you All ready right. for it? Yeah, I'm ready for it. I don't even know. Like, people might think, like, oh, he's going to do stuff because he knows they're doing this segment. I I don't even think about it. It's just it's a habit. Oh, it just, just comes natural way. to you. <laughs> we know. <laughs> we know. So. All right, so the first one is from Saturday. You were enjoying a day on the golf course. Now, you tweeted out, sometimes it's hard being this good in response to this video. Now, you have some haters here, Danny. The first one's from Alex Chambers. He said, I'm sure that was the first (laughs) attempt. Another one from Sean Hatfield. He said, long sleeves and shorts in August. I have to agree with him on that one. And the last one from Jeremy Burris. He said, good putt, but the strength of schedule (laughs) is weak. So the floor is yours, Danny. That obviously is a college football fan with that last one, strength of schedule. So I was actually, that was a, so to answer the questions, Mm -hmm. the sleeves, because of sun protection, gotta protect the skin, right? And they were the dry fit that are, you know, they're, they're like cool enough. Mm -hmm. And I think they look kind of fresh too. I don't know what you think, Ham. They look pretty good. Um, and the fact that you didn't see the putt come off the club, I almost kicked the guy I was playing with who took the video off the course. Like I almost said, how could you miss the start of the putt? That was a birdie attempt on 193 yard par three, which okay. it was a birdie. It was made out there, but I almost kicked him out of our group. I'm like, how can you miss that? And he was in the TV business, but I forgave him because if you noticed, he got the logo on my ball, which was a dollar sign, which I Ooh, thought was pretty good. I did not notice that. Let's run that back. Closely. I got to see that dollar sign. <laughs> <laughs> you got to see it at the end when the puck goes in. All, All right, right. What else did I do? We have another tweet from you over the weekend. You're talking about a graphic you saw. You didn't love it. Here's what you said. The Big Ten East is the toughest division in college football, and it's not even close. So some of the responses you had to this one, Jeremy Brinkmeyer said, is that the same division that has Rutgers, Indiana, and Maryland in it? And another response from Bernard Resnick, he said, the Big Ten has been overranked for at least 40 years. When you're not even close to 500 in bowl games, you're overrated. Whoa. I mean, obviously you can tell us some of my SEC fans, which I have like three of. Um, <laughs> I So the FPI is a stat, a metric that's used by ESPN, and I cannot stand it. It's the hardest metric to figure out. It's the most annoying metric. I think it's often... Uh, wrong to be, uh, to be frank. And even like, I'm not disgruntled because I was, I used to go try to track them down when I was in Bristol, trying to have them explain it to me. Like, how can this be? Because I think it's one of the most obvious statements to make in college football is that the Big Ten East is the, is the toughest division in football. I think it's, I think it's obvious. That's why I said it's not even close because you have multiple national championship contenders, multiple, not just Bama and everybody else. It's multiple. You have Penn State, you have Ohio State, you have Michigan State and you have Michigan. Four teams that legit could run, could win the national championship. In the SEC West, you have one for sure in Bama and you have Auburn and then you have LSU who's looking to rebuild. 
who's been, you know, they've been overrated the past couple years with Ed Ogeron. You've got Texas A&M, who has a brand new coach in Jimbo Fisher. You have Mississippi State breaking in a new coach. You have Ole Miss, who's been a disaster. Uh, who am I missing? Like, you, you've had a bunch of teams at the bottom tier that uh, Arkansas, excuse me, Arkansas with Chad Morris at the helm taking over a new coach. I don't see, I see one national championship contender, maybe two with Auburn, who before when they've been in the position have absolutely crumbled when they've had that opportunity. So I don't, like, I get it. A lot of times I'll troll the SEC and I'll put stuff out there to get a reaction. This one I thought was stating the obvious. But as college football fans do so often, they can't see the obvious behind those rose-colored glasses. They just can't. All right, Danny. So while you were busy tweeting, I'm here to catch you up on everything else you missed in socially relevant. So today is the first day of school, but summer pickup games aren't slowing down. Over the weekend, we saw Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, and some other NBA players go up against none other than 2 Chains. I just have to say, 2 Chains is 40 years old, and I think it was last fall I was in Vegas, and I happened to see him. He was in a wheelchair because he broke his leg. <laughs> so I have to say, this is pretty impressive for a 40-year-old. Do you remember when we were on the pod earlier and I said I was on a flight and 2 chains was in front of me? Oh, yes. I do remember this. The one thing that stood out to me was how tall he was. Like, he's like mm-hmm. he's 6'6". Six, six. Like, he's not – he's like – he looks like a basketball player. Tall, skinny, lanky. He does. Like he's got good wingspan. Like, on defense, he could be pretty good. And from the video, he's got a pretty smooth jumper. Like, he looks all right. So, I would probably – I would take him. Not I'm bad not for 40 years old. That's, that looks like a fun pickup game. I would love <laughs> playing that one. I know. I feel like these summer pickup games just aren't ending at all. Like, we've seen them all summer long. All right, we're going over to the NFL now. So a fan dressed up in pads trying to get onto the Steelers practice field to cover Antonio Brown. Take a look at this video. You can hear A.B. saying, let him check me real quick. Let him check me real quick. Clearly, the staff does not let him on. Everything goes back to usual. But Danny, would you ever let a random fan on the practice field with you? Heck, yeah, I would. I think this is absolutely I would. This is where the NFL misses opportunities, because if Antonio Brown had been allowed to let that, that video would have went viral. Like, even, no matter what happened, if he would have schooled him, the guy would have fallen down, it would have looked <laughs> awful, like it would have gone viral. If the guy shuts him down and like covered him, it would go mm-hmm. viral. But you get the fans to interact. This is one where, like, we just saw Joel Embiid playing with, you know, two chains and a bunch of fans, you know, right. a bunch of other people. That's we true. see, t- we see, uh, Embiid also playing like pickup hoops. Uh, in the mm-hmm. offseason all over Philadelphia. Like, the NFL misses so many opportunities where they're just kind of uptight. It's like, relax a little bit. Let it down. Like, just let them play. But what like, if the fan was really it. good? Like, that <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> then maybe you sign them, and then it becomes even, like, a better story. But, like, I, you know who would love this? You know who would love this is Rajad. It's too bad he's out today mm-hmm. because he would vote for this in a heartbeat. Cause he, <laughs> cause there, the other thing too is there are hecklers, even at practice when you think maybe they're your own fans, there are hecklers out there. Mm-hmm. Let them come out there and you can shut them up and you'll never hear from that fan again. But We're like, going any, out there. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anytime you can get fans involved, give them an experience that they can't experience anywhere else and that maybe they would be shocked into, it's a good thing. Like let them go out there. There was also a video hand, I don't know if you saw it, of Antonio Brown running this route. It was in the goal line, and it was one of the best, like, most uncoverable routes that I've ever seen run. Like, he is a beast. He's the best receiver in the NFL right now. It's not even close. And if this is like a unique route because you don't really see it. It's not a traditional route. It was in the goal line. He ran like a fake comeback. And then mm-hmm. back to the end zone, and Rossberger hit him perfectly. No, they're gonna they're gonna create some fits for defenses this year for sure. Well, there you go. He didn't need to show off in front of the fan, anyways. Well, that's, that's right. all I have for you for socially relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Danny, what's coming up next?
We got a new segment. We have, well, at least we have a new name for it. It's called Leftovers. So I'm going to get to a bunch of stuff that we haven't gotten to today because it was a crowded weekend. There was some stuff, some fun stuff, and uh, some stuff that was uh, trend-worthy too. We'll get to that next on Off the Bench. Welcome back to Off the Bench. Just finish off with some leftovers, some topics you might have missed from over the weekend. How about the rich get richer? Because Kirby Smart has been crushing it on the recruiting trail, uh, getting five-star after five-star into Georgia. And you know what? He's just adding transfers now, too, because uh, former five-star recruit uh, Demetrius Robertson was granted his wager. He's now eligible to play for Georgia this season uh, after the waiver was uh, granted. He had 767 yards and seven touchdowns, a true freshman at Cal. He played only two games last season with a lower botter injury. Georgia, this is crazy. I didn't. This is a crazy stat. They haven't had a 1,000-yard receiver since Terrence Edwards in 2002. So... This is like, I was shocked when I saw that number. Like, out of all these seasons, they've been, you know, top 10 team. They haven't had a receiver light it up. This could be the one to get there. And Jake Fromm, he's going to have more responsibility on his shoulders this year. And I think he can totally handle it. But he's going to have some some weapons on the outside to work with. And I think you're going to see his numbers uh, increase. Because when he's a true freshman out there last year, you have to kind of limit what you give to him. And I think slowly throughout the year, like, there was a huge difference uh, between the Notre Dame game when you saw him, and he made a big throw in that game, but there was really a restrictor plate on that offense. Like they were saying, hey, don't go out there and screw it up. To when you took it fast forward all the way to the championship game when they lost to Alabama, he was out there cutting it loose, you know, throwing it all over the yard. Same thing with the uh, Rose Bowl when he's playing against Oklahoma. So with him fully um, grasping the offense and now adding in a, a receiver of this quality in there, Georgia, I mean, they're already everybody's favorite to win the East. The big question is, are they going to beat Bama in the championship game or whoever they play from the West? Most likely it'll be Alabama. And their defense should be legit. And their offense is going to be even better with this type of receiver, with a quarterback getting another year under his belt and Jake Fromm. So watch out SEC East, which is kind of atrocious anyway. But uh, they just got a lot tougher with Georgia at the top. Former SEC running back, uh, Darius Geis, uh, this – I hate seeing this news, and every coach's worst nightmare just happened to Jay Gruden in Washington because uh, Darius Geis was playing in their first preseason game, you know, took limited reps, came out of the game, and after the game, I saw a video of him in the locker room. He's saying, yeah, no big deal. I'll be fine. He tore his ACL, and that sucks. It's the worst injury to have. Everybody knows what it means. It means you're done for the year. But Jay Gruden said, you know what? He said, we're not even looking to add another running back. He said, no big deal. I to me, it's got to be he's trying to get his team not to panic because they've only got Rob Kelly, Samaj P. Ryan, and Free Bibbs on the roster. They're going to sign somebody else. They'll sign a free agent running back uh, just to add some depth to that roster. But I thought Darius Geis was a steal in the draft, and I thought he was going to have a monster season for the Redskins and an instant impact because if you remember correctly, he dropped to the second round behind some other running backs. Because there were some rumors, and they never really came to fruition. Like, nobody really figured out why he dropped. Yeah, he's a little bit immature. Yeah, he might have handled things, uh, you know, a little bit immaturely when he was LSU. But he can flat-out play. Like, when you watch film of LSU, you didn't see that much of a drop-off when it was Leonard Fournette or him in the backfield uh, running the ball for them. So this is a tough loss for the Redskins. In a year when Jay Gruden has put all his chips on Alex Smith, and he's probably going to be coaching for his job this season, not what he wanted to see losing their running back. All right, how about our boy D-Wade? So a lot of people have been wondering, especially here in South Florida where we do the podcast, what's he going to do? Is he going to sign somewhere? There was a lot of talk about him going to China where he was offered $24 million to go over there uh, for two years. He says, nope, the only way I'm playing basketball again is if I play for the Heat this season. 
He said, I'm, I'm, that's the only way I'm playing basketball. And I think it's a good thing. I hate seeing when players get up there in their careers, especially a player of his caliber. And they, I, I don't blame them for trying to extend their careers and get more years under their belt. But to, when you start becoming a journeyman after you've been one of the best players in the league and you've got rings on your finger, I don't love that. So I'd love to see him play here in Miami. I agree with him. I think hopefully he'll take whatever money the Heat will give him because he's still, I think he can, can contribute. And yeah, I don't think the Heat are going to be, you know, NBA finals contenders, but good for him if he wants to finish off his season. He's one of the most popular players the franchise has ever seen and probably the most uh, important uh, player for that franchise. So good for him for making it clear and just saying, hey, I'm playing for the Heat or nobody else. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Raja is in with our buddy David Sampson. They'll be able to break down a lot of baseball action as it's been getting, you know, the Red Sox still look like they're crushing it. But there's been some other uh, some interesting races out there as well. And uh, Sampson's always entertaining, so you're going to want to see him. And we're going to get Raja's take on a bunch of different things as well that happened uh, over the weekend too. I'm interested to see what his take is on Tiger, what some of the college football stories that are going right now because there is a ton of drama. But uh, thanks for checking us out. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell.